The following sermon was given on Sunday, August the 4th, 2019 at St. Paul's Church on Lake of the Isles in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So we have to name it. We've had two mass shootings in this country in the last 24 hours. First, a white nationalist terrorist opened fire in a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, killing 20 and injuring dozens more. Most of his victims were people of Latin American descent. His motives? To kill Hispanics, who he said in his own words were taking control of this country. Something is wrong. The second, a shooting at a bar in Dayton, Ohio, happened last night while many of us were sleeping soundly in our own beds. A gunman killed nine and injured a dozen more before he himself was shot and killed by law enforcement. His motives are still unclear. Almost 30 people are dead with dozens more injured. The prevalence of violence raises hard questions. Where does all this anger come from? The hate, the violence, the vengeance, the complete disregard for human life, the lack of will on behalf of a society to finally decide when enough is enough. Something is deeply wrong. And we had better find another way forward because this one is not sustainable. It may not seem like much, but as people of faith, part of the way we find a new way forward is by turning away from the anxiety of our society and seeking the wisdom of scripture, seeking guidance from the women and men who came before us who in their own times of trouble found a way to compassion, a way to justice, a way to God. So let's go there this morning and discover together a way out of this madness around us and toward a more peaceful future. Can we do that this morning? So the Hebrew Bible, that which we call the Old Testament, can be divided roughly into three parts. The first five books, the so-called books of Moses, though Moses most certainly did not write them, are called the Torah. They not only contain the laws and ordinances that define the behaviors of God's faithful people, things like keeping the Sabbath, caring for the stranger and resident alien, and not defrauding the poor of their wages. But they also contain the stories of faithful women and men struggling to live out their covenant relationship with God. And when they fail, God continuing to work out God's divine purposes, even through their imperfections. Second, there are the Nevi'im, the prophets. A prophet is not a fortune teller. Rather, a prophet is someone who sees the future that the present is headed towards and communicates an alternate, compelling vision for a more compassionate future of mutual well-being. The prophets were people like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, and Malachi, folks who looked at the growing violence 
the indifference to human suffering, and the ambivalence towards God that was growing in Israel and Judah and called the people to return to God. There are prophets in our own time, too, warning us that unless we choose our course and change our course, rather, and choose courage over cowardice, generosity over selfishness, and neighborliness over tribalism, we are headed towards certain disaster. So we have Torah, we have the Nevi'im, and finally we have the section of the Hebrew Bible called the Ketuvim, or the Wisdom Writings. This is where the Psalms fall, the Book of Proverbs, the Book of Lamentations, and the Book of Ecclesiastes, where our first reading comes from this morning. It may feel like a random catch-all, but there is something deeper present in these texts, namely the pursuit of wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom might help us understand the rest of the Hebrew Bible, actually, because a repeated refrain throughout much of the wisdom writings is that God's statutes and ordinances, Torah, help us to learn wisdom, and the prophets warn us about what happens when we refuse to learn wisdom and choose instead to follow our own way. In case you were wondering, turning away from God's will and choosing our own is the definition of sin. This might help us understand a bit of what Kohelet, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, is getting at in our first reading. I'm not sure what happened in this writer's life, but whatever it is, this person has gotten to the point where they're asking some really hard questions about life. What does it mean? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Where do we find joy? Why is life so difficult? And the answer they come back to over and over again, if we literally translate the Hebrew, says, merest breath merest breath. All is mere breath, and trying to control it is like trying to shepherd the wind. Fearful times, like the ones in which we live, raise these questions for us. What does it all mean? Why are we here? Why is life so hard? Where do we find joy the fear that causes us to spend our lives trying to find and create security and safety only to discover that it is nowhere to be found. That's what the rich man does in our gospel this morning. On the surface, according to the values of his society and even those of ours, he does nothing wrong. He honestly plants his crops, he reaps an abundant harvest, and he stores what he cannot use in the moment. This feels like the right thing to do, right? All the financial planners in ancient Judea would have advised this guy to build his barns and to save what he could not use. So there are a few things to be aware of here. First, this parable is not telling us to go, or rather not to open a savings account at the local bank. Saving and investing are not the issues here. Second, where the rich man went wrong was not in saving. The problem came when he said to himself, 
I've got everything I need. I don't have to worry about a single thing. My money has made me secure. My wealth has provided me safety. The problem is that the rich man in our gospel had not yet learned what Kohelet had learned in Ecclesiastes. Life is unpredictable. What is gained today can be lost tomorrow. To chase safety and security is merest breath, merest breath, and trying to control it is like trying to shepherd the wind. The truth that is held up for each of us to face this morning is that no one is really secure. Wealth, power, privilege, prestige, weapons, All of these are merely projections of security. It's why many people spend so much time, no matter how much they have, simply trying to get more, because it's a never-ending process of chasing the illusion of safety and the mirage of security. From my perspective, this characterizes so much of our society. We are living in deeply fearful times, where so many attempt to project safety and security by amassing more and more weapons, acquiring more and more wealth. We attempt to purchase our own security by turning our backs on those in need. And what's the result? More violence, more fear, more distrust. The words of our writer from Ecclesiastes might sound foreign to our ears, but there is more truth to them than we might want to realize. All of this is merest breath, merest breath. All is mere breath. And trying to control our life is like trying to shepherd the wind. So what is the response of people of faith during fearful times like the ones in which we live? Do we pack it all in and just surrender to despair? Paul's words to the Colossians provide some wisdom here. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, this does not mean, as some might suggest, that we are to live in some alternate reality that is absurdly unaware of the pain that is around us. Where I come from, they call that being so heavenly-minded that you are of no earthly good. No, not even Paul himself means that. What is meant here by set your mind on things above is about perspective, For followers of Christ, we ultimately anchor ourselves in the reality of the risen Christ and the promises of his coming kingdom. Now, I know that might seem difficult to hold on to when the world is spinning apart around us, but the only other alternative is to go through this life unmoored from hope, awash in anguish and drowning in despair. When we dare to hold fast to Christ in times like these, we can reject the world's invitation to anxiety and fear. 
We can stand with our feet firmly planted on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And from that place of true and lasting security, we can show others that there is a higher, more noble, more excellent way of being in this world. One that is compassionate, just, and secure, and merciful. Life itself is merest breath, and trying to control it is like trying to shepherd the wind. But when we choose to live our lives in Christ, our lives are given new meaning. We attach ourselves to the Lord of the wind and the waves. And our lives are given meaning that shapes our thoughts. Thoughts that shape our actions, actions that impact our relationships, and yes, can even change this world. If you're anything like me, you're tired of living your life at the mercy of breaking news and endless tragedies. To be clear, there is much that is wrong with our world and much work that we are called to do as the people of God, as a nation, as a human race, to bring about a more compassionate and just world for everyone. But we cannot get there through despair and hopelessness. We who follow Christ are called to take on the mantle of Christ, himself deeply rooted in his Jewish prophetic tradition, This Christ who, like Torah for our Jewish siblings, calls us into covenant with God and teaches us what it means to love God and to follow God. Namely, it means loving our neighbor, loving one another, and yes, loving our enemy. This Christ who stands as a prophet, seeing and naming the terrifying future that our present is hurtling towards headlong and articulating a compelling vision for a more generative future that we call the kingdom of God. This Christ, too, like the wisdom writings, teaches us to reject anxiety, to reject insecurity, to reject violence and retribution by pursuing the one thing that matters, the one thing that gives our lives true meaning, the one thing that can provide hope, a life deeply rooted in a loving reality of God. Christianity following the way of Jesus is a practice It's not solely about believing, but it has to have an impact on what we do. It's about showing up to life each and every day, prayerfully asking God where grace is throughout our day. It's about practicing the values of the kingdom of God in the midst of a world that is unaware just how close the kingdom of God is to us. It's about intentionally opening ourselves to what Howard Thurman calls the sound of the genuine within us, calling us to be centered not on violence, not on anxiety, but on peace, on joy and grace. There is something in every one of you that waits, the li- that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself, Thurman writes. It is the only true guide you will ever have. And if you cannot hear it, then you will all your life spend your days at the ends of strings that somebody else pulls. Let me read that again. There is something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. 
It is the only true guide you will ever have. And if you cannot hear it, you will all your life spend your days on the ends of strings that someone else pulls. Dear friends, Jesus cuts those strings and allows us to live our lives rooted in peace and joy, allows us to proclaim the gospel of life in the midst of a land of death. The madness is killing us. And at some point, we have to choose to get off this ride. We must choose to anchor our lives in something other than the shifting sands of this world that is passing away. We must choose Jesus, who himself has already chosen us, and to choose to follow this road of compassion by praying, by serving, and by loving the hell out of this broken and breaking world. Amen.